0: His grace to you and the knowledge of Christ as you draw near and worship him. Uh, let me make uh, or and welcome also if you are joining us via last stream this morning. Uh, one quick actually a couple things I want to make sure you are reminded of is that uh, for the ladies, uh, remember that you have uh, the Homemakers Club as well. Uh, if you have any questions about that, please see Kaylin. Uh, I know that uh, several of the ladies have found that to be incredibly uh, have a, to be incredibly um, meaningful uh, and encouraging. And a blessing uh, to them. So again, uh, please see Kaylin if you want any more information about that. And then uh, secondly, just a reminder that next Sunday we are having our annual church picnic at the Elliott Boat Basin in Maine. Uh, so a few things that I want to make sure that you, uh, that you do if you are intending to go, and, that, and I hope that you are. Uh, first is that, uh, that if you would bring uh, something to that event, would be helpful uh, and if you are, uh, make sure that you let us know by uh, writing it down in one of the sheets of paper that you'll find downstairs in the fellowship hall. This will just help us in sort of preparing uh, for that event next week, knowing what to expect, what else needs to be sort of provided for based on what people might bring. Also, we're looking for people to help and volunteer in different ways. Uh, number one is to uh, just help with the setup as well, making sure that all the food is uh, gets there. Uh, And Everything is set. We need at least a couple people to to grill the burgers and dogs as well. And we also need uh, people to help clean up as well, make sure that all the the garbage cans are emptied and, and picked up. And we can bring them back here to the dumpster in the back of the church to dump all that out. So if you are willing to help out in any of those ways, please make sure that you write that down in one of the sheets of paper down in the fellowship hall. Or just see and talk to Debbie and let her know. So uh, those are all the announcements we have this morning. Uh, Perhaps many of you come here this morning and you are hemmed in by perhaps mountains of of stress, of anxiety, uh, perhaps uh, issues at work, perhaps conflict in the home, or even just hemmed in by mountains of sin. But even in those depths, you can still see the glory of Jesus Christ, and that is why we come this morning. That's why we gather each week. We come to behold the glory of Jesus Christ And so as we draw near before the Lord, let us open our eyes and let us draw near to him and let us behold Christ Jesus' glory and from him withdraw the comfort, the encouragement and the strength that we need for the week ahead. Let me read to us our call to worship this morning found in Psalm 84, beginning at verse 1. It says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and a swallow, a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Amen. Let us go to the Lord and let us worship him. Okay,
1: please stand if you are able. Our beloved Edwan is still taking care of their newborn baby, so I'm happy to be with you all this morning worshiping the Lord. And we're going to be starting with uh, You Are My All in All. You are my strength when are the treasure that I seek? You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel, to give up, I'd be a fool. You are my all. Sin, my cross, my shame, rising again, I bless your name. You are my all and all. When I fall down, you pick me up. When I am dry, you fill my cup. You are my all. Like a feather, bind my wandering heart to Thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for. Be praised thou mine inheritance now. and some
0: This morning, because we desire to see Christ. And in our beholding Christ, we desire also to be transformed more and more into His image. Lord, we are thankful and we worship You for giving us, for giving us Yourself and laying your life down for us. And then rising from the dead for us so that we might see you as our high priest, as our precious Savior, and as our good shepherd. We give you all the glory and honor and praise. Lord, continue to shepherd us and guide us this morning and continue to enhance our vision so that we might behold more of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may, you may take your seats at this time. We'll dismiss our kids to their classrooms. Going to Read to us from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 14 and 17, and then we will spend some time in prayer. I am the Good Shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Lord, we see in this passage the kind of relationship that you have invited us to, a a relationship of knowing. Not the kind of knowing that comes from casual, superficial, or shallow conversations, but a knowing that comes from deep intimacy, an invitation to deep fellowship. You are our good shepherd. And you know us. And it is only through you that we can know you. Only through your sacrificial death on the cross can we come to know you. And you invite us to know you just as you know us, and just as the Father knows you and you know the Father, so you invite us to know you as deeply and as personally as the Father knows you. Lord, and to know you would take an eternity. I think it is for this reason that in the Gospels it says, Jesus himself says, that eternal life is to know God. Just as it takes a lifetime To know well and to know intimately the person that one has married, so also would take an eternity to know our precious Savior. But what a joy it is to embark on that journey right now, to know you today. And Lord, we desire to know more of you. And even in this passage, we know you just from what you say about yourself, that you are the good shepherd. And that very title invites us to come to you with faith and with trust. And Jesus, we come before you this morning Asking, Lord, that you might graciously forgive us of our sins, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us, Lord, because we don't always trust you as we should. Sometimes we are stuck in our own ways. The desires of our hearts are strong, and we allow ourselves to be led by our hearts rather than what we know according to your word. And that finds us in difficult predicaments that finds us in difficult situations because of our own negligence because of our own mistakes because we have failed to trust in our good and faithful shepherd so would you graciously forgive us this morning and lord we're thankful that even in our failures even in our weaknesses and our sins lord you do not cast us out of your sheepfold You do not disregard us. You do not kick us out of your flock. But you gently call us to yourself and you guide us to yourself. You welcome us again and again to renew our faith and our trust in you. Would you help us to submit ourselves to you, to submit our hearts, our minds, our emotions, our walk, our choices, to submit everything to your gracious and gentle hands. Father, we pray, we pray this morning for the Smiths. We pray for Courtney. We pray that you would continue to, to sustain her health and keep her in good health, Lord. As a faithful shepherd, Lord, would you continue to shepherd her through her cares and concerns, whatever those things might be. Would you shepherd her, Lord, Lord, Shepherd her heart and her emotions and her mind as well, and the challenges, God, that she is in in this season. Father, we pray for Jay, we pray for Jean, we pray, Father, that they might continue to entrust themselves to you. We pray, Lord, for our dear sister, and that she might continue to, to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of her faith. Lord, that she may not be fearful of anything because you, the faithful shepherd, is with her. And you guide her and you comfort her. Lord, we pray, God, with boldness and as your eager children that you would graciously, God, restore her and that you would heal her. Father, we pray for our brother Jay as he continues to look after his family and especially his wife that you would continue to give him strength that he might be a pillar upon which his family can lean on and that you would bless his ministry to his home and even also his ministry to your people as well bless the family, encourage them and strengthen them father we pray for the stevens we pray god that your love may abound in them more and more with knowledge and with all discernment we pray that the words of their mouth and the meditation of their hearts may be acceptable in your sight lord and during this season Father, with Rhonda's, the passing of Rhonda's parents, Lord, would you help them both? Would you help her especially to continue to withdraw comfort and encouragement from the well of your internal promises in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Lord, and we join them, Lord, in praying for the salvation of their unbelieving family members. God, we plead for their souls. We ask, God, that they might be those numbered amongst your sheep who are lost right now, and that they might hear the voice of the great shepherd, and respond in faith and repentance lord would you draw them to yourself and grant them salvation through faith in jesus christ father we pray for the garlington's god as they prepare in these next months in their training in october in preparation for the mission field Father, over the course of these next few months, Lord, would you encourage them and strengthen them? Would you shepherd their hearts and their minds? Would you give them discernment and wisdom and guidance as they look to different places in the world, different teams to join and partner with for the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Would you lead them in the right direction? Give them assurance And we pray for that these next months, Lord, that they might be sweet and encouraging and that you might help us, Lord, to strengthen their hands as they prepare for the next chapter to which you have called them to. We pray, Father, for the continued advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ in New England. Father, we pray that many of those sheep who are lost, that they might be brought back. We pray, Father, that many might hear the voice of the Good Shepherd calling out to them through personal evangelism, through the heralding of the gospel in churches. Would you bring many to saving faith in Jesus Christ? Father, we pray for our country. Father, we pray against the evil and the diabolical and the wickedness of child trafficking. We, Father, we pray for a greater and growing awareness for the need to combat against this great evil. Father, we pray for the passing of laws, Lord, to fight against this tragedy. Father, we pray that you would Provide and sustain those individuals, those organizations, Lord, whether small or large, with the finances, with the resources that they need to continue to protect children. Would you mobilize many to that end? And Father, we pray also this morning for those who work in the area of engineering. Even that, we know it's a broad spectrum, Lord, but you know them. You know all those who are yours, Lord. You know all those in your church here today who work in these areas. Father, would you bless the work of their minds, give them clarity, give them insight, strength, Lord, so that they might set their minds to do what you have called them to do in the workplace, Father, that their presence in their respective workplaces may be like the ark in the house of Obed-Edom that blessed his home, Lord, that their places of work may be blessed because your people are there, working heartily first and foremost unto the Lord for the great glory and joy of their heavenly master. Bless them and keep them, Father. We trust you, Father, for all of these things. We believe, Lord, that you hear us, and we know, God, that as your children, that you, in some way, you will respond. And we look forward to how you might respond to our prayers. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. If you would, let us turn to Psalm 23 this morning. psalm twenty three we'll read the entire psalm It's a short psalm it's verses one through six. We're going do something a little different here. so if hopefully you have a Bible in front of you, if you did not, the words will be up on the screen. I think it'll be I think it'll be sweet if we read the psalm together. So psalm twenty three. Whether you're following along in your your Bible or reading the passage above, I am reading from the ESV version. Psalm 23, let us begin in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Man, this is the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, you are the good shepherd of the sheep. Lord, we desire to submit to you. We desire to listen to you. Despite what our minds want, despite what our hearts desire, help us to submit them to your loving and faithful shepherding. Would you help us and teach us And would you also help us to see Christ Jesus this morning as we give attention to this psalm. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are, Psalm 23. Familiar certainly to many of you, if not all of you, familiar even to many unbelieving. Even to many haters of God. They are familiar with the psalm. And it's a song that's actually quite difficult to hate. I mean, you hear it almost anywhere and everywhere. You hear it from the lips of those who do not know the Lord personally. You hear it in movies. You hear it in television. You hear it recited in funerals. It is seen as a way to withdraw comfort for those who are grieving, for those who are on the brink of death, for those who have lost loved ones. And rightly so. People love the psalm for the right reasons. Because it is an encouraging psalm. Because it's a deeply comforting psalm. It's hard to compare this psalm with many others when it comes to the encouragement and the comfort that it speaks to those who read it and believe in it. But especially so when you consider Psalm 22, which we did last week. right? Psalm 22 is very raw. It's hard to digest. It's like trying to digest raw meat. Whereas Psalm 23, it's a delicacy. It's a feast. It's like taking in dessert. And dessert, it's always, it's always appropriate to take dessert. No matter if it's morning or afternoon or evening between a meal, it doesn't matter. It's always, always an appropriate time to take dessert. Psalm 23 Is like that. So whether you're in a season of despair or suffering, or whether God has provided for you a good season of rest and tranquility and joy, it is always, always a sweet psalm to the soul. So hopefully... As familiar as many of you might be with Psalm 23, I hope that the Lord might encourage you and teach you in new ways as we consider deeply Psalm 23. Let us first consider the nature of the shepherd of this great psalm. The first verse begins and says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want Right there in that personal pronoun, it's pregnant with meaning. It speaks of personal relationship. And there are many titles, right? If you're familiar with the scriptures, if you've read the scriptures for a significant amount of time, then you know that there's a lot of titles ascribed to the Lord. And this is one of them. That the Lord is a shepherd. Not just a shepherd, but he's my shepherd and he's your shepherd and that's the lord who has written his holy word the pen of his prophets he's telling us that he wants us to uh, to identify him as our shepherd He wants us to identify him as our shepherd, and that very word shepherd also comes with so much meaning, with gentleness, with care. A shepherd is not a shepherd if he is quick to get angry, if he is forceful, if he is impatient with his sheep. That's no shepherd. And people who love this psalm recognize that. that psalm speaks to someone who is gentle with those who need a gentle touch. And this is especially helpful coming off the heels of Psalm 22. Right? And if you haven't, if you weren't here last week and you didn't listen or watch the sermon on Psalm 22, I would encourage you to do so. Because I think there is a connection between Psalm 21, 22, and 23. In Psalm 22, 21, we have God delighting in the king, the psalmist showering with favor and giving all these great blessings upon his king. There's nothing in that psalm that the king does or that the psalmist does unto the Lord. He is receiving the entire time. The exception of ascribing to the Lord worship Then you get to Psalm 22, and it almost seems as if the blessings and the favor of God have been withdrawn from his life, so that all he feels is this God-forsakenness. All he feels is this despair, this agony, this deep darkness over his life, wondering where is his God, and then, thankfully, we get to Psalm 23. Where the tumultuous life of the psalmist now comes to like this the stability and the stillness. Right? Don't we yearn for that? When we go through a season of darkness or depression or suffering or conflict or stress, we are just thirsting for some stability and some steadiness in our life. And this is what Psalm 23 gives off. It just comes in that first verse, verse The Lord is my shepherd. I feel this God-forsakenness, but the Lord is my shepherd. I feel as though God has abandoned me, but the Lord is my shepherd. I see nothing but enemies surrounding me. I see nothing but conflicts surrounding me, but the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want The significance of the psalm is even further enhanced when you consider that the psalmist himself who wrote these words was a shepherd himself. So he knows what it is to be a shepherd. And now he is placing himself in the place of a sheep. I am the sheep of your flock. You are my shepherd. First Samuel 17 David, who was once a shepherd, describes to us what his shepherding was like. What did he do? What did, that, what did that responsibility look like? He writes there, David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear or took, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Anybody fight a bear lately? That's the kind of shepherd I would want over my life. Somebody's going to fight the lions. Somebody's going to fight the bears. Somebody who's going to rescue me from the ravenous wolf is not going to be afraid to do so. So when the psalmist says, You are my shepherd, in part, that's, what he's, that's just what he's saying. You're the one who delivers me, you're the one who protects me, you're the one who saves me from the mouth of the lion, because that's the kind of shepherd you are. I'm going to tell you right off the bat sort of what the main idea here is, or at least one main idea that carries us forward to the end of the psalm. The sort of the main idea that I'm working with when I consider the psalm. And this main idea is that the Lord, the Lord is rest. So that when when the shepherd or the sheep that is, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. In a way, he is saying, the Lord is my rest. Because this is what the shepherd does. He protects his flock. He comforts them so that they can rest. When God delivers his people from slavery in Egypt to bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey, a prosperous land, he doesn't intend to bring them to that land as just simply so they can rest. Rest is not... Sort of the ultimate goal of getting his people there. The ultimate goal of his getting his people there was so that they can enjoy God, so that they can rest in his presence. It is so that they can enjoy intimate and deep fellowship in communion with their Savior. It was so that they can have more of God. And the Lord, who is our shepherd, intends for us to find rest and peace in him so that we can have more of him, so that we can delight more in his amazing presence. And as familiar as this psalm is, as familiar as the psalm is to the world and as common as this psalm is applied to the lives of many, we should be careful about who or to whom the psalm is applied to. And I think the psalm actually makes it quite clear who it is that should be applying this psalm to their life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, even in that very first sentence it tells us there, it makes a distinction, who is this comfort and rest for, it is for his sheep. It is for those who find their all in their shepherd. They don't seek it primarily and ultimately outside of the shepherd. They're not longing after it in the rest of the world. They're not looking for the material possessions of the world. They're not looking for the safety and security that the world offers. No, they find their all in the shepherd because they ultimately know that anything that they have comes from the generous hand of of the faithful and loving shepherd they find their satisfaction in him they don't take issue with verse three where it says that he leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake which is a concern for the glory of god which we'll get to in a moment They have no quarrels about the glory of God. They want to give their lives to the glory of God for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ, for the name of God to be spread across the world. They want to be led in this path of righteousness because they recognize that their life, first and foremost, is about Him. Romans 9. Verse 6, the Apostle Paul writes there, it is not as though the word of God has failed, speaking about how the Old Testament community of the people of God, how many of them have rejected the Messiah who is Jesus Christ. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. So in other words, just because they are of Israel doesn't mean that they are actually of Israel. And just because they come from the line of Abraham doesn't mean that they are actually his children. But he goes on to say, no, it is the people of faith who are considered to be the true children of Abraham and thereby also the true children of God. And the Gospels also help us to interpret the psalm when Jesus himself says that, that those who are his sheep listen to his voice. Listen is not just simply hearing the voice of God, but listening with an intent to obey listening with an intent to submit. What do sheep do? They submit. They submit to the chief shepherd. Yes, sometimes they might go astray, sometimes they might wander off a little here and there, but ultimately, because they follow the guidance of the shepherd, they come back into the sheepfold and they continue to follow the shepherd. So the psalm goes on to tell us what is the Lord's shepherding like? How good is his shepherding? What makes the Lord such a good shepherd? And This takes us secondly to the manner of his shepherding. The psalm continues, verse 2, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Green fields, green grass, not like my yard right now that has some yellowing here and some dry spots there and a lot of clovers over here. No, there this is a pasture that is weedless. There's no weeds, there's no clovers, there's no yellowing. It is lush, it is green. And it is there for the sheep to continue to take and have their fill. And our shepherds, would often have to take their sheep into different places depending on the season. But the very fact that this passage says that he makes me lie down, I think speaks to permanence. That you can lie down here and take a rest. You're not going to need to go elsewhere. You're not going to need to find fulfillment elsewhere. The shepherd says, I will lead you to the place of fulfillment, to lush pastures. You're going to find what you need there. You're not going to need to get back up again to go somewhere else because it is dried out. As says, he makes. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now why might this be important? I think of Mary and Martha, when Jesus goes to visit with them. You have Martha all about him. She is working around the house preparing a meal, and she goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, could you have my sister work with me? I need help. And Jesus says that your sister has found the better portion. That is namely sitting at my feet and learning from him. Now, sometimes we need to be more like Martha, and get to work and busy ourselves, sometimes perhaps we've been too lax and we need to get things done, but there are times when we also need to be more like Mary. Especially because in our culture, we pride efficiency, productivity, get things done. Sometimes we just need to be more like Mary and just rest. And Sometimes the Lord has to force us to take some rest that can come in many shapes and forms. I think sometimes when you come down with a fever, it's sort of a blessing in disguise because you're forced to rest. Because otherwise you'd just be busy in yourself, doing and doing and doing. Sometimes it's a gentle rebuke from his word or a friend. Sometimes plans just get canceled. And then you're sort of twiddling your, your thumbs like, oh wow, what am I do with my time now? because we're not used to just sitting down and resting in the presence of Christ to enjoy more of our faithful shepherd. Or how about even the pursuit of pleasure? Sometimes we get all about pursuing the pleasure of things in the world or things that are appetizing our own souls. A Puritan Thomas Boston once wrote, Would you have your corruptions mortified? This is a way to have the food and fuel removed that maintain them. For as prosperity begat and fed them so adversity when sanctified is a means to kill them. Would you have your heart to rest nowhere but in the bosom of God? What better method could a providence take to accomplish your desire than pulling from under your head that soft pillow of creature delights on which you rested before. Sometimes we need the seasons of lack so that we might rest in the Lord. Sometimes it is in those seasons when we can rest better than in having seasons of plenty. Psalm continues, He leads me beside still waters, This is especially refreshing coming off the heels of Psalm 22, where he says words such as you, my tongue sticks to my jaws, he says in Psalm 22. You lay me in the dust of death. You have the desperation of a man who is at the end of himself, who has no energy. There's a deprivation in his life. And then he comes to this moment and he says, he leaves me beside still waters. The shepherd rejuvenates me; he revitalizes me. And Isaiah 32, we have this wonderful picture painted for us. Isaiah 32:16 it says, "Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever." My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet, resting places. This is a picture of a kind of Eden. But what makes Eden, Eden, is not necessarily the the trees and the lush pastures and the fruit, but what makes Eden, Eden, is the presence of God. It's the fact that the chief shepherd dwells there. And when you have the chief shepherd By your side, you have sort of like this mobile Eden going with you wherever you go because Eden is not tied to a location, but it's tied to a person. He restores my soul. There's a restoration. After the darkness and the gloom of Psalm 22, feeling this deprivation, feeling this agony, feeling this God-forsakenness, feeling the sense of he has nothing left to give, now he's in this place where the Lord is the one who restores his soul. In the Gospels, when Jesus says to Peter, he says, the Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail, and when you are returned... Go and strengthen your brothers. There are moments when we are at the end of ourselves and we have nothing left to give, but our chief shepherd, at the right moment, he rejuvenates us, he revitalizes us, he restores us. And when we are in a place where we are restored, we are then in a place where then we can go on and strengthen others. The psalmist was at a point when he had nothing left to give. He barely had the strength to make it through the end of each day, but now he's in a place where he has enough to be able to go on and strengthen the hands of others. That's what God does when he restores his sheep. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. As I said earlier, this is a concern for the glory of God, the concern Of God for His own glory is something that the saints or the sheep also share in that concern. And for us to be led in the path of righteousness for His name's sake is God attaching His own name to it. And God cannot swear on anyone else's name because there is no name higher than the name of God. It gives us a measure of assurance and confidence. In Ezekiel chapter 20, in verse 8, after it says there that God had commanded his people to put away the foreign idols of Egypt, to stop the worshiping them, it says in verse 8, but they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. And here's the shocker. But I acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived in whose sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt. So in other words, what is restraining God from pouring out His, his wrath upon the deserving israelites his own name he is not willing for his name to be profaned among the nations for them to see wow look at what god has done in bring them out of the land of egypt through signs and wonders only to forsake them and pour upon them his wrath no instead the lord chooses because of his own name to be merciful and gracious and kind and abiding and steadfast love Certainly, it is because of the great love of God that we do not get what our sins deserve, but it is also because of God's own fame that He does not pour on us in this moment what our sins deserve. And we have Jesus to thank for that. This gives us confidence because In our being shepherded, in our being led, we are being led for the sake of his name. And so for the sake of his name, he has attached himself to us. And he has sworn in his own name that he will not leave or forsake his own dear and beloved sheep. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. One question to ask in reading this passage is, who's doing the leading here? I mean, we just read... The shepherd leads me in the paths of righteousness. He leads you in the paths of righteousness. So, how is it then that we next find ourselves, in the next verse, walking in the valley of the shadow of death? But right, the conclusion that must be drawn is that the shepherd is also the one who leads us even through the valley of the shadow of death. If we end up there, it is not by accident. shepherds sometimes had to lead their flock through these deep ravines. And some ravines look really nice. But ravines and valleys also provide a place for predators to hide very well. But sometimes the shepherds had to take them through those valleys and through the ravines. Perhaps because there's a greater Provision at the end of it. They can provide better because they know what's at the other end of the valley. In those ravines and in those valleys, right? You're hemmed in, right? And so it's they keep a lot of the light out. Because you're so deep into the ground. Psalm 22. It's like the shadow of death where the psalmist could not see the light above for he is hemmed in by these mountains of suffering, by enemies, by this feeling of God-forsakenness. But then there's a transition to the peace of Psalm 23 that even though I walk through this dark valley, I'm not going to be afraid. Why? Because the shepherd is with me. Because even in the valley, there is something to behold, there is something to see. I know I've mentioned this before, you might not remember, but there's this small book of Puritan prayers called the Valley of Vision. And the very first prayer in that book is one titled the Valley of Vision. I want to read to you some of that prayer, the Valley of Vision. Thou has brought me to the Valley of Vision, where I live in the depths, but see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the crown is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley of vision is to it's the place of vision. So many paradoxes, right? And even Psalm 22 and Psalm 23 are paradoxes on in themselves. We have, the, we have on one end the darkness, the gloom, the suffering of Psalm 22, and then all of a sudden you have, I will not fear. Will you walk me through this valley, I will not be afraid. There's a peace, there's a stillness, there's a gentleness because the shepherd is with me. There's even a paradox there in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I have every reason to be afraid right now, but I'm not going to be afraid because you are with me. Sometimes the valley of the shadow of death reveals to us the illuminating and the captivating face of the shepherd better than the lush pastures of plenty. Sometimes we can see the glory of Christ as our chief shepherd better in the valleys than we can in the broad open spaces. And sometimes we need to be taken through that valley in order to enhance our vision. And this has a way of determining who are actually his sheep and who are not, because those who are not of his sheep will be afraid and they will turn back and they will turn away from the valley. They will not trust their shepherd, but those who trust the shepherd, though they see what's before them and they see that it is terrifying, they will still follow the shepherd into the ravine because the shepherd is with them. And if the shepherd leads us into the valley, then we can expect and have confidence that he will also safely guide us out of the valley. He has his rod and his staff to guide and to protect us so that we might be afraid when we might want to turn back. He gently guides us back into the sheepfold. Toss back to himself. He says, trust in me. I know this is hard, but I will get you out safely. I know what's on the other side. Just trust me. He has his staff or his rod to beat back the, the ravenous wolves and the lions to protect you. To keep you safe. The one who has trailblazed the way of righteousness also guides his sheep along that trail and protects them along the way. Then verse 5, the image of shepherd carries us all the way through verse 4. Then the image kind of changes to where the Lord is presented as a a gracious host. Verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So here we have the picture of the Lord being a gracious host and the sheep being an honored guest. Where we're lavished, where we're taken care of, where we are richly provided for. Genesis forty-one fifty-one. 51, there Joseph... When he has his son, he names him Manasseh. And it says the reason why he named him Manasseh was because the Lord had made him forget all of his troubles. The Lord prepares a great banquet for his honored guests. And in this honoring, and in this celebration, and in this feasting, it's intended to help us to forget our troubles, the troubles of the valley of vision. Captain J. Wilson once wrote an account of how he was graciously received by a host. He said, I once had the ceremony performed on myself in the house of a great and rich Indian in the presence of a large company. The gentleman of the house poured oil upon my head, my hands, and arms, a delightful odor. He then put a golden cup into my hands and poured wine into it till it ran over. Assured me at the same time that it was a great pleasure to him to receive me and that I should find a rich supply in his house. His generous host was inviting him to take your rest, find all that you need in my house. So, in the same way, we have this picture here of the Lord graciously hosting his children. Providing them with this rich this rich banquet. Helping us to forget all of our troubles. And inviting us to take our rest in Him. Find all that you need in Him. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we go from Psalm 22. The psalmist is pursued and surrounded by enemies, to now he is being followed by the goodness and the mercy of God. Wherever you see a Christian in the path of righteousness, there will always be goodness and mercy of the shepherd following closely behind them. And they are walking ultimately to their final destination the place where they can find their true soul's rest in the place of the presence of the chief shepherd where there is no more sin where there's no more trouble where there's no more agony where there's no more distress where there's no more illness or sickness that is where the path of righteousness takes us to and that is ultimately where the shepherd is leading us to it says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The original wording in the Hebrew there is actually tended to say that I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for the rest of my life or until the day I die. And he can confidently say that because he has the chief shepherd with him. Because as long as he is following the chief shepherd, he is always, in a sense, dwelling in the house of the Lord. And for us, those of us who understand the gospel, who have embraced the gospel, who have received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, we understand even greater that it is certainly a forever, an eternal forever, that as long as we continue to follow our chief shepherd all the end of our days, then forever we will dwell in the house of the Lord. We will always be in His presence, now and forevermore. Thirdly and lastly, the chief shepherd of the sheep. Right, We can't go on and conclude this psalm without also considering the chief shepherd of the sheep who is namely Jesus Christ. In John 10 verse 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. There in John 10, Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd. Here, the psalmist titles the Lord as shepherd. So in a way, Jesus is saying that he is God. It's a way of him saying that he is the great I am, who also carries the title of shepherd. And his sheep know him and he knows them. And we know how good then the shepherd is to us. We see here because we receive nothing. I mean, we receive everything here and we have nothing to bring to the table. There's nothing here that the psalmist does except saying that I will not fear, but everything else. Wait, I shall not want because the Lord provides. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores me. He leads me in paths of righteousness. I am lavished as his guest in his great house. The shepherd is the one who does everything. And so we can carry this and apply this to Jesus Christ. He does all those things, but we also see in John 10 that he does much more. For he says there that Jesus, as the chief shepherd of the sheep, goes so far even as to lay down his life for the sheep. John ten seventeen. Jesus says there, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. The assurance that Jesus has of the love of the Father comes from his laying down his life for his sheep. And in this way, he communicates the shepherd's love for his own by his laying down his life for God's sheep. And Jesus shows his faithful and loving shepherding towards us by actually laying down his life for us on the cross so that we might then know him as our shepherd. Jesus was unafraid of the danger. He was not going to run from the valley of the shadow of death. And so also, we need not fear when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death because Jesus Christ, our King, who holds the scepter of His righteousness, uses that same scepter to fight back against the ravenous wolves and lions that seek to devour us and our faith. And as our faithful shepherd, who went into the valley of suffering himself, His aim is not to help us avoid the valleys at all costs, but to gently guide us through the valleys that we experience in our lives. If he has determined that it is imperative for you to trek through that valley, know that it is only to enhance your vision of his goodness through it and by it and after it. The Lord Jesus is our shepherd, and in him we lack no good thing. He provides for us, for all that we need. Jesus entered the valley himself, the valley of suffering, the valley of his death, so that you and I never have to walk into the valleys alone. He went before us, and he prepared the way for us so that he could gently lead us through those valleys. By way of conclusion, it was a struggle this week, to figure out, like, what, what does this mean? Like, how I, I understand it, and hopefully you do too, that in the Lord Jesus we have this rest as our faithful Shepherd. He cares for us. He comforts us. He walks us to the valley, the shadow of death. And he is with us, therefore we need not fear anything. And so what do we do with that? What does it look like in terms of application? But perhaps there is really no application. When someone prepares a meal for you, what is there to do but to take? to receive it, to digest it. And perhaps this is all that the psalm was intended to do. To provide something sweet and appetizing for the soul for you to just partake of, for you to just receive. There are, perhaps you've seen them, but there's, there's been advertisements or commercials where people take sort of a, a case put it on an iPhone to test the durability of their case. They toss it into the air and let it fall to the ground. And they pick it up and it still works. There's no cracks. The phone still works. It turns on. Or like somebody would take a a sleeve, like a laptop sleeve, put like a a MacBook in it, close it up, and then toss it into the water. And then pick it up again and open it up and it's, it's dry. Nothing's happened. And perhaps in the same way, this is what Psalmist intended to do for us. to Provide us with a sense of durability so that when we are, feel like we're tossed into the air and we fall smack into the ground or we were tossed into the waters and we are fearful, we can sort of anchor ourselves in this psalm and we are able then to say, I will not be afraid because my chief shepherd is with me. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Perhaps the psalm is intended to be a refreshment to you if you're feeling parched and dry and thirsty. Perhaps it's intended to be sort of a protection of shade over the hot sun. Perhaps this is intended to be a tune played in the major keys when all your in this season of your life all you hear are tunes played in the minor keys perhaps this is intended to be a calming of the storm for you in your life perhaps this is intended to be a kind of a mobile refuge for you so that wherever you go whatever situations come your way you have this haven and your chief shepherd who is Jesus Christ. Perhaps all you have tasted is the bitterness of life and this is intended to be something sweet to your taste buds. Perhaps this is intended to be a place of rest for wearied and tired and exhausted sojourners as you continue to walk the path of the Christian life. Perhaps there's really nothing to do with this psalm except to just simply receive. Receive it. Take it in. Believe that you are in the hands of the chief shepherd who knows how to deal gently with his sheep. And who knows how to lead them in the path of righteousness, who knows how to walk them through the valley, the shadow of death, knows how to comfort them and guide them through such valleys, and knows how to take them to the end of that valley, to where they can see and take part in the lush pastures the Lord has prepared for those who would continue to follow Him all the days life. Amen. Let us pray. Jesus, we are thankful for your faithful shepherding over our lives. Lord, would you continue to encourage us and to comfort us and to care for us? Lord, strengthen us. Help us to look to you as our faithful shepherd. Even in the darkest of times, help us to trust in you. Help us to not be afraid, but to lean on you. Lord, encourage your saints. Bless them and keep them and continue to make your face shine upon them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We need to take communion. So we're going to do that. We're not going to miss that. So, if you haven't done so yet, you are welcome to go to the back table. There are these small cups. If you're to take one at this time, I'll ask my lovely wife if she could grab one for me as well. What a joy it is for us, thank you, as the sheep of the Lord's pasture to be able to take communion together to remind have this tangible reminder to us of what Christ Jesus, our chief shepherd, did for us. This is a reminder to us of how much our Lord loves us. He laid down his life so that we might have it abundantly. So even as you take this meal, be encouraged, be reminded of your faithful shepherd's love towards you. Don't be afraid of using those personal pronouns as the psalmist did in Psalm 23 when he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Feel free, confidently say that to yourself. The Lord is my shepherd. He is your shepherd who died on the cross for your sins. So I want to take this together as brothers and sisters in Christ, as those who belong to the sheepfold of Jesus Christ. So whether you're here uh, and you're a member of Seacoast Community Church or are not, if you have believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you have received baptism, if your life is characterized by a continual submission to the sheep, shepherd of the sheep, continuing to follow his ways, walking in repentance, and you are invited to take this as a brother or sister in Christ. But if you have yet to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you are still outside of that sheepfold. You're still outside the gate. Jesus says that I am the door to the sheepfold, that no one can enter in except through him. So until you have placed your faith upon Jesus Christ, the door is locked to you. You remain outside of his sheepfold. You are remaining outside of his gentleness. You are remaining outside of his comfort. You are remaining outside of his care. So that when you are walking through the dark valleys of your life, you are walking them alone. And there is no guarantee, even with nothing that your hands can bring, that can get you safely out of those valleys. Believe in Christ Jesus. Trust in Him as your precious Savior. Submit to Him as your faithful shepherd. And the door will be opened. You will be invited in to become a part of His sheepfold. If you will just listen to His voice and submit to His voice. And you will have that faithful shepherd, that faithful friend who will encourage you and comfort you as you walk through the dark valleys of this life, assuring you that he will walk them with you and guide you through them and ultimately bring you to his eternal abode in heaven, in the paradise of God where he dwells. So before we take, let us take a moment to just pause Reflect, let us call out to the Lord as our faithful shepherd, confess our sins before the Lord, but also trust in his gracious and loving forgiveness. So let's take a moment, just pause in silence. We're going to take the bread and then the cup, as we have done before. We'll say that this is the bread or the body of Christ bruised for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Of course, we don't mean this as the body of Christ actually becoming these things or that the, that the, that the cup actually becomes the blood of Jesus Christ. But these are intended to be to us a reminder to us of what Christ Jesus has done for us. So let us confidently affirm that when I say that this is the body of Christ bruised for you and the blood of Christ Jesus shed for me, that you in turn say this is the body of Christ bruised for me and this is the blood of Jesus shed for me. So let us begin with the bread. Brothers and sisters, the body of Christ bruised for you. The body of Christ bruised for me. The same way with the cup. Brothers and sisters, the blood of Jesus shed for you, the blood of Jesus shed for me. Jesus, we are in deep gratitude for all that you have done for us. You laid down your life so that we can be here this morning and take this meal, so that we can come here this morning. And be reminded that you are our faithful shepherd. You died for us so that we can come here today and worship you and submit our lives to you. Lord, may we never tire of the gospel. May we always withdraw encouragement from the gospel. And Lord, Would you also help us to faithfully proclaim the gospel and let us this week rejoice in the great gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's in his name that we pray, amen.
1: Amen. Please stand if you are able, and now we will sing how much we need this great shepherd um, by singing, I need you, Lord, I need you. my righteousness, O oh God, how I need where sin runs deep, your grace is more, where grace is found, is where. Uh, today comes from Numbers chapter 6. It says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Church, you are dismissed. Be at peace.